This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosure at the end of this podcast. Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. Now, let's get started with your guest host, Anna Medina Selly. Welcome to Hancock Talks. Thanks for being with us today. My name is Anna Medina Selly. I'm a director here in the Advanced Markets Group. And I want to start by acknowledging that we are living through unprecedented times and wanted to let you know that we here at John Hancock are here to support the financial professionals, firms, and clients whom we serve. As we navigate some of these uncharted territories and focus on our topic today, I also want to let our listeners know that we all are here together, but recording remotely. Today's topic is going to be on gifting in uncertain times. It it definitely can feel ironic that we are going to be talking about what some of the opportunities are given some of the current economic conditions. But there are a couple of factors that we're going to be discussing within this podcast that are important for us to hear as we talk to our affluent clients with regards to what we see in place for gifting and other planning opportunities. Today, it is my pleasure to have two of our esteemed advanced markets attorneys here with us. Joining me from John Hancock is Carly Brooks, an attorney in advanced markets. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. And we also have David McNamara, an attorney for special markets and underwriting here at John Hancock. Welcome. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. So the first thing that I would love to discuss, and Carly, maybe I'll turn it over to you first to get us started, is can you give us sort of a baseline as to why gifting is such a topic that we should be considering right now? Yes, absolutely. Happy to do that. I do think now is a really important time to be having these conversations with our clients about gifting. Before we talk about some of the strategies that our clients should be considering, given the environment that we're currently in, I do think it's important to take a minute to just share some perspective on where we are economically and politically, because as we know, and as you mentioned, we are in a really unique time right now. To do that, let's go back to 2017 under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which as most of us know by now, that that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that went into effect in 2017 really overhauled our current tax policy. And one of the biggest changes that occurred back then was the increase in the lifetime exemption from $5 million to $10 million indexed for inflation. And when you take into that inflation indexing, that results in an $11.58 million exemption for 2020. Most of those individual income tax provisions, including the increased lifetime exemption, are scheduled to sunset at the end of 2025. So what does that mean? That means that when the ball drops on New Year's Eve 2025 and we head into 2026, that lifetime exemption is also expected to drop down to $5 million or about $6.5 million once you take into account inflation. I think this raises a couple of questions. The first that is really being circulated around right now is, is that sunset actually going to occur? And it's interesting to note that there's actually never been a reduction in the exemption amount once it's been raised. However, I think there's a few things that we need to keep in mind here. So the first being the increase in exemption created under the act was really dramatic. It was one of the most dramatic increases we've ever seen. 
We're also, as we've discussed, in a time of economic uncertainty. And then let's not forget, we are also in a presidential election year. So all those things considered, I think that the legislative date of the exemption is quite unclear at this point. So let's consider two of those points. The first really being the economy we're in. So I think we all know that tax revenues are what the government uses to fund expenses and obligations. And with a growing deficit and so much general economic uncertainty right now, even if President Trump stays in office come this fall, I would say at this point, it's looking more and more unlikely that all or even many of those tax changes that are currently scheduled to sunset will be extended at that time. Secondly, there's a lot of speculation about what might happen if Trump isn't reelected. There have been some presidential candidates that we've heard from who have talked about reducing the exemption amount even more drastically than what's scheduled to occur in 2026. And some candidates have even suggested eliminating the step up in basis at death, which if that goes into effect, that would be hugely impactful, not only for estate planning, but also for income tax planning as well. So what does all this mean for our clients? Well, whenever I'm asked to speak about this topic, I always say, and I'll say this to our listeners now, and I really can't stress this enough, but it's really important that we're planning as if those exemptions are going to sunset. And especially in an election year where, again, this change in leadership or a potential change in leadership could result in lower exemptions even sooner potentially and more drastically, I stress that it's it's really the time to be planning, not only as if they are expiring, but as if they are, are expiring now or more imminently. And so for many of our clients, what that means is the opportunity to, before that window of opportunity closes, do some gifting. And we'll talk a lot today about ways that we can do gifting that is both smart and flexible to address our clients' planning objectives. Before we talk about some of those strategies, I do also want to just point out that the IRS did clarify last year that there will be no clawback, something we've heard a lot about. But essentially what that means is that if a client dies when the exemption is lower than it was at the time a gift was made, that gift won't be subject to estate taxes. It won't be brought back into the estate or clawed back into the estate and taxed at that time. So to summarize, it is really important to be talking to your clients about making use of those exemptions today. We're in a really unique planning environment where there is this window of opportunity to do a lot of significant wealth transfer. Clients can feel comfortable doing so without having to worry about clawback. And as Dave and I will discuss, there's a lot of ways that we can help build flexibility into plans so that clients can start to feel comfortable about making those gifts and getting that planning done as soon as possible. Let me turn it over to you, Dave, for your thoughts. Well, thanks so much, Carly. I appreciate it. I think in, in hearing you speak here, there are a few words that really jumped out to me. Uh, the first being the uncertainty, and uncertainty in a couple of different ways. Uncertainty in the political cycles, as you mentioned, but then also the uncertainty of whether this law will sunset in 2025 or not. But I think that the most important word there as well was flexibility. I think for us as planners, it's really important to keep our eyes on the macro level picture out there. It's to have an understanding of what the laws are, what the laws might be, and to develop plans that are flexible enough to handle any circumstance. And as you mentioned, we're in uncertain times. Uh, Absolutely, we are now. But in uncertain times, can we create plans that are flexible enough for our clients on a go-forward basis to handle anything that comes down the road? And we're going to talk about a piece of that today in gifting for clients in the high net worth space. But really, we need to keep an eye for all of our clients about what the laws are, what the laws will be, and maintaining flexible plans. Absolutely, David. I can't stress that enough. And I think that we are going to continue this conversation with some of the things that we've been hearing a lot. And so 
what we I've heard from both of you is there is a current opportunity. There's this large exemption that is set to expire maybe sooner rather than later. Yet we understand from a psychological perspective that there are many clients who are hesitant, right? They're hesitant to be making an irrevocable gift to a trust. So Dave, do you mind starting us off with what are some of the things that we can consider in trying to make that more palatable? Yeah, thanks, Anna. I'd be happy to. You mentioned it in the question, and I think it's a, it's a very timely question to ask as well, is if we have a plan that mentions gifting to a client, and you mentioned the word irrevocable, which is a scary word, not only for, for clients, but for planners as well sometimes, because you're making something permanent by making an irrevocable gift. But are there ways for these clients to do irrevocable gifts, but still have flexibility in their planning? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, we can certainly do that. Now, one of the ways that we've done it historically, and really one of the the bread and butters of our industry for flexibility, is the spousal access trust, right? So mechanically, what happens is you make a gift to the trust, and it's an irrevocable gift. There's no doubt about that. You're making a gift to, to a trust that's outside of your taxable estate. But on the other hand, that trust has terms in it that allow for the spouse with the trustee's discretion to get funds from that trust. So it's not direct access to the funds. It is more indirect access to the funds, but it's not 100% locked away. It's a more flexible plan than making an irrevocable gift to a trust that you can never get back. Now, what's the benefit to that? We are in uncertain times, as we mentioned. So if circumstances change, and they will, You've built in flexibility to that plan from day one, right? So you've done the gifting and all the important things that come along with that. And we'll talk about that in more detail. But you've also created a safety net or a flexibility underneath that that says that if circumstances change, the family still has access to some of the funds in that trust. So flexibility being key, uh, especially in these uncertain times. And Dave, I echo that. But let's pivot a little. Carly, I know that you've been talking about a different approach to this. Do you mind sharing with our listeners what that approach is? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Dave makes a really good point about building flexibility into trust as much as we can and access and control into irrevocable trust planning. One technique that I've been sharing, and I think it works kind of well, especially for clients who are thinking about estate tax planning, but again, not quite ready to make gifts today, and I think this works well for those individuals, is what I call a survivor standby trust. And so let's talk a little bit about how that works. And I say survivor standby trust, but this is really using what we refer to, or you may have, you may be familiar with as a credit shelter trust. So how this technique works, just kind of high level, is the spouse who's most likely to die first, so the spouse with the shorter life expectancy, purchases a second-to-die life insurance policy. That policy is going to be personally owned. So again, not trust owned here. It's personally owned. And because it's personally owned, the owner spouse is going to pay those premiums using personal funds. So again, no gifting right now. They create a credit shelter trust. It can be created today or as we often see as created under their estate plan or through their revocable trust. The spouse will then name the credit shelter trust as the contingent owner and beneficiary of the policy. So that's where we get that standby name. So the credit shelter trust is basically standing by and waiting to become the owner. And during the owner's life, because again, they own this policy personally, the owner spouse has full control and they can access potential policy cash value and and use the policy for personal planning needs. 
If the owner dies first, which is what we're expecting, the credit shelter trust becomes the owner and the fair market value will be included in that owner's estate, but it's typically much lower than the death benefit. Now the credit shelter trust becomes irrevocable when that owner dies. And when that surviving spouse dies, the death benefit is going to be received estate tax-free by that irrevocable credit shelter trust for the beneficiary. So it's just a really good way to start to think about flexibility and sort of managing what gift tax and estate taxes might look like down the line. It's just a way to, again, build flexibility into plans for clients who aren't as comfortable making gifts today. The second strategy that we've talked a lot about, and I'll let Dave weigh in on this, for clients that have some liquidity, combining financing or loans to trusts can also be another really great way to build flexibility into those plans. And again, you'll hear me talking a lot about flexibility. I think that's the word of the day. But anytime we're trying to get clients to initiate planning today, if you can make that plan as adjustable to current needs as possible, then I think that makes clients a lot more comfortable and willing to engage in the planning. So how do loans to the trust work? Essentially, the clients will loan assets to the trust at the AFR, which is at a historically low rate right now. The loaned proceeds can be used to purchase life insurance in the trust, which when that's done, it can create a lot of leverage within the trust and the death benefit can really potentially increase the total amount to heirs. They can be repaid under the loan terms or what we're seeing and calling a wait and see strategy is they can opt at any point in time to forgive all or part of the loan. And that loan forgiveness is treated as a gift at that point in time too. So again, just getting clients over, over the hurdle of planning, but giving them an exit strategy if, if that's something that they feel they, they might need down the line. Dave, I'll let you weigh in on that a little bit as well. Yeah, thanks, Carly. I appreciate it. So th- this wait and see strategy that Carly's described here is really the, the ultimate in flexibility. It says to a client, we have a gifting window available until 2025 but we don't want to absolutely give up control of those assets just yet. So what can we do? We make a loan to the trust. And as Carly mentioned, these rates today are at historic lows. So the rates are very, very low on those. And what the client will do is make that loan to the trust and wait and see. And what they're waiting for and what they're seeing is if anything changes in the future relative to the sunset that we talked about Mechanically, what happens is, as Carly mentioned, the client makes the loan to the trust and that loan sits there. Now, as the loan sits there, it can be used for a lot of different things. We talk about life insurance as being a a leverage play within that trust, and, and it is a very effective tool for that. But the loan itself stays in effect until potentially when the ball drops on 2025. So, if for the sake of argument, say that the law does change, it does sunset at the beginning of 2026. Clients at the end of 2025 will have the option, knowing that that's coming, of forgiving some or all of the the loans that they had made to their trust and counting those as gifts. So it's really keeping the flexibility until the time that they want to take definitive action by forgiving some or all of that loan amount. When they do that, it counts as a gift to the trust, counts as a gift in current exemptions, and maintain the flexibility all the way through. And oh, by the way, allow them to purchase a life insurance policy today that is fully funded by the time any of that actually happens. So we're talking about total flexibility within the plan. And we're talking about the possibility of the law sunsetting in 2026. And whether it happens or not, we have a plan that's flexible enough to deal with whatever happens either way. 
And, and I would love to just sort of jump in here because what I'm hearing from the two of you is the word du jour is definitely flexibility. But I, another way to sort of think about this is, is giving the option to gift when and if they decide to do it. And again, from a big picture perspective, a loan is not a gift. It's not the same as a gift. It's something that can come back to you if you needed it as the grantor of that trust. So again, it's this embedded options that we are giving so that we are making individuals comfortable as we sort of navigate the next couple of months and years and, and trying to understand when and if. And, and Carly mentioned this at the onset of this, is plan for today as though it were going to happen. And again, I think that there are a lot of alternatives available that can be presented in order to help facilitate that. And last but not least, I think that the other important thing to consider too is, you know, um, a lot of times these irrevocable trusts are funded with life insurance and now more than ever, maybe a time to consider some of those advantages, the tax-free death benefit, the liquidity that it may offer. So a competitive rate of return that it might offer. So these are the things that we can sort of bring to the table to help understand and help facilitate and tailor to the needs and goals of the client. So that is very well said. I'd like to just spend the last couple of minutes um, there. You know, we've talked low interest rates. We've talked about sunsetting lifetime exemption. But the other thing, too, to consider when we are making gifts, there are two types of gifts. You can gift assets or you can gift cash. Specifically, I'd like to take the next couple of minutes and focus on assets. Today, more than ever, we've seen a lot of assets be devalued. You compare it to what they were last year to what they are this year. And I'll have Dave weigh in on, on what that means. But if we think about it from a share perspective and not from a dollar amount perspective, you're able to take perhaps a lot of more shares or a lot more value and place it in trust when valuation is lower. But there are considerations. So Dave, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that planning opportunity and what are some of the considerations that we should consider when we are gifting assets and not cash. Yeah, thanks, Anna. I appreciate it. And th this is a very timely question, especially in the, the circumstances that we're in today. And I think it's a topic we'll be talking a lot more about as time goes by. It's what to do with depressed assets. We know that assets valuations today are almost universally less than they were a year ago. Does that create planning opportunities for us? And if so, how does that happen? As Anna mentioned, if valuations of assets are depressed today and you're making gifts of those assets to the trust, that means you can just give more of it, give more shares, give more of that apartment building, whatever that is that you're gifting into that trust, you can just do more of it. But the planning on that has a lot of considerations, and, and there are a lot of factors that go into gifting assets into the trust. So I'm going to pull Carly back in here because gifting generally is a good idea of depressed assets, but what are the factors that the clients and their financial professionals should be looking at when they're thinking about employing that strategy? Yeah, it's a really great point, Dave. So as you mentioned, if your clients have assets that have now been devalued or, or depressed, as we say, it could make a lot of sense from an estate freeze perspective to consider gifting those assets today. As you mentioned, the estate freeze and the appreciation, getting all that growth out of the estate, if those assets do come up as we expect them to, or as we hope that they will, having that estate freeze is really important. But we also have to remember whenever we're talking about gifts, that those gifts are are good gifts, not just from an estate tax perspective, but also weighing the potential income tax implications of making those gifts as well. So as we, we've talked a little bit about today, 
the assets that are owned personally receive a step up in basis at death. Most assets receive a step up in basis at death for income tax planning purposes. If you gift those assets to a trust today, you, you won't have that step up in basis for, for income tax planning purposes. So it, it is important that as we're thinking about making these gifts that we're not only thinking about the estate tax considerations, but also evaluating, does it make sense from an income tax planning perspective? Does it make sense from a holistic planning perspective as well? So we spend a lot of time in our advanced markets group talking about tax planning. That's that's really our bread and butter is thinking about estate tax and income tax planning. But I always, I would be remiss if, if we don't also mention that a lot of times when we're thinking about estate planning, there's you know a real personal legacy planning idea that comes into this. And so sometimes clients will want to give certain types of assets like legacy assets, um, heirloom properties or collectibles that have nothing to do with, with tax planning or tax efficiencies. So getting a better idea of our client's holistic plan, thinking about the non-tax reasons for gifting, as well as the estate and income tax reasons for making particular gifts or structuring a plan in, in a given way is really important. And as we've talked a bit about today, leveraging those gifts with life insurance can become a really important aspect of that. So Anna mentioned the tax-free death benefit that life insurance offers, the liquidity that that can bring in a time of uncertainty and the flexibility that it can offer to allow clients to achieve legacy planning goals is, is really important, not to mention the competitive rate of return that we can sometimes see on these policies. So all that being considered, I think it is really important that we're considering all these factors. And Carly, that is a great segue towards the conclusion of our segment here, because the one thing that the three of us here in the advanced markets do on a day in and day out basis is case consultation. And so we factor in the client's needs, their goals, what their estate makeup looks like. And so we tailor those approaches and help financial professionals really come to the table with the options and the flexibility and some of the concerns that we're trying to overcome and, and really factoring that in. So please feel free to reach out to us directly. We can create custom presentations to help facilitate these discussions or we're, you know, there's a lot that we discussed today and a lot to digest, but the overarching message that I want to leave our listeners is we are in times of uncertainty, but we can come to the table with options that are flexible, that are tailored, and that ultimately can help meet the client needs that we are servicing. So I want to thank Carly and Dave for spending some time with us and thank our listeners as we wrap up this segment. We've all been sort of adjusting, you know, recording this podcast from our each respective home. So, um, you know, we're navigating some uncharted waters, but I think that we can navigate them together. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Now it's the time. Let's go to the underwriting corner segment to focus on how underwriting can support some of the larger face amounts that are typically seen with gifting. Here with me today is Dave Moon, Associate Chief Underwriter and Risk Management here at John Hancock. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me. Dave, let's talk about our experience in the high net worth space. As we've been discussing gifting, I thought it would be a good refresher to remind people what our history has been here at John Hancock. Sure. So uh, as everybody probably is aware, uh, John Hancock has been in the not only brokerage space, but also working in the high net worth space for well over 20 years, our underwriting department is well-suited to serve that marketplace. Um, I would say that just over a third of our underwriting staff are senior underwriters with probably average uh, amount of experience approaching 25 years amongst our senior folks. And uh, it's something that we all work in on a regular basis. So we are very comfortable with different strategies and concepts uh, that you 
in advanced markets are are promoting uh, and utilizing, as well as on the underwriting side in providing capacity. Yeah, we we definitely have a good reputation and history in this space. Um, but Dave, can you tell me a little bit more about our retention and jumbo limits that we have available? Of course. For our internal retention, we do have uh, amongst the largest within the industry at $30 million on an internal basis. Uh, as far as automatic capacity goes, uh, again, amongst the largest within the industry with $60 million that we can do from an automatic capacity basis. And from there, things do tend to grade down based upon age, as well as anybody individual mortality assessment. Yeah, thank you for that. So again, for our listeners, I think what's important to understand is that we have the history here. We have some of the highest retention and jumbo limits. But in terms of best practices, what should our listeners be aware of if they have one of these cases to move it forward? Yes. From the underwriting side, most people probably believe that uh, our focus really is on medical, although it is. But we do, particularly in the large case markets, we do look at the case uh, from a financial perspective as well. And really any assistance from the producers to provide us with an explanation of exactly what strategy is being employed, what the insured's ultimate goals are from a planning perspective, helps us better understand how we can approach and and assist in in getting the approval through on that particular case. And to that respect, if you wouldn't mind mentioning, what are some of the best practices that some of our financial professionals use? Of course. Typically, it would be in the form of a cover letter that would give us that explanation outlining uh, exactly what the strategy is that would be employed, really what the insured's goals are from a planning perspective. And then uh, as far as um, additional supporting documents to show us really the individual's financial standing, where their assets lie, Are assets actually in their name? Do they have other assets that are tied to them, but not necessarily in their name? So if we can get a full financial picture of the individual, what their financial standing is, and we can make that correlation between the planning strategy in relation to their financial profile, that puts us in the best position to give you a quick decision. And that's one of the things, having worked with the underwriting department for so many years as our partners, I think time and time again, I hear cover letters are, and good cover letters are some of the key factors to helping us understand what the case is about and really trying to move that forward. Dave, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the underwriting challenges producers might face? Sure. Particularly in a large case market, it's going to be around capacity and and managing to the jumbo limit, which is currently set at 65 million. So if uh, a producer is dealing with multiple carriers, there is, and we're dealing in a very large, large space, then we do need to pay attention to how that case is managed across all the different carriers. For example, uh, if, say, there are three or four different carriers involved, um, if a producer is going to complete a formal application with signatures for, say, $40 million each, um, that would become a jumbo violation. So it's a matter of managing to that jumbo limit of $65 million. And that's something that we can work with and help the producer manage uh, with a phone call ahead of time before any forms are actually put in place. Yeah. So transparency, communication, these are sort of some of the things that I think are cornerstones to helping as we partner with underwriting in terms of trying to really be thoughtful 
with regards to putting these cases through from both a medical and a financial underwriting. So this is all really good information. Dave, last but not least, do you want to talk to us about some of the resources that we have available? And I'll be covering them more in the next segment. But do you want to mention what we have available so that individuals who want to learn more can learn more? Yes, we do have a field underwriting guide that is available on JH Sales Hub that gives you some very basic information as it relates to some of our financial underwriting guidelines. Also, all of our underwriters are available with easy access by phone call or email, et cetera, for consultation. As a producer begins working on certain situations with their clients to discuss any potential speed bumps along the way uh, as it might relate to capacity and jumbo managing to the jumbo limit or even medical situations. So uh, we do work closely with the advanced markets group as well to help us better understand situations that we may not have a full grasp on. So really is a team effort to, uh, to get everything done between both internally and externally. Well, thank you, Dave, so much for joining us today. I know that you are a great partner for us here in the Advanced Markets Group and a big, great partner for those financial professionals and producers out there. So really appreciate your time to help us understand some of the considerations from an underwriting perspective as it comes to large cases and gifting. Happy to be here and thank you for having me. Now we're going to move to the Marketing Senate segment of our show, where I'll talk about where you can find a lot of great resources about some of the topics that we discussed today. Our large case website, available on jhsaleshub.com, offers a lot of great concepts and insights that can help you not only with understanding some of the underwriting information that Dave Moon talked about, but a lot of the information that we talked about from an advanced markets perspective. In addition to that, we also have a lot of great tools also available on this producer site. The first one I'd like to mention is our estate tax calculator. This can help give you a sense and an idea of what the estate tax liability may be. And it's a quick reference tool to help sort of start those conversations. We've been heavily focused on the estate tax perspective from a federal level, but state estate taxes also can factor into this and they vary by each and every state. So to help navigate some of the differences between the state state taxes, we do have a know the law map, which can help you understand that. And last but not least, we also have JH Solutions. That is our proprietary software that we have here at John Hancock that can help create custom proposals based on the client's needs and goals. And we here in the advanced markets can help tailor and create those proposals for you. So here the advanced markets group between the attorneys, the advanced markets consultants, we are here to help. Please feel free to reach out to us at 888-266-7498, option three, gets you to an advanced markets consultant, and we'd be happy to partner with you on your next case. Thank you for listening. I hope everybody has a great and safe day. Until next time. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic, as well as access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit jhsaleshub.com. And now, here are some important disclosures for your consideration. Claims related to having one of the largest in the industry jumbo limits and retention are based on competitor analysis as of March 2020. 
Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice and is not intended for use by a taxpayer for the purposes of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of time we produce the material. Anyone interested in these transactions or topics may want to seek advice based on his or her particular circumstances from independent advisors. Trust should be drafted by an attorney familiar with such matters in order to take into account income and estate tax laws, including the generation skipping tax. Failure to do so could result in adverse tax treatment of trust proceeds. Loans and withdrawals will reduce the death benefit and the cash surrender value and may cause the policy to lapse. Lapse or surrender of a policy with a loan may cause the recognition of taxable income. Withdrawals in excess of the cost basis, premiums paid, will be subject to tax and certain withdrawals within the first 15 years may be subject to recapture tax. Additionally, policies classified as modified endowment contracts may be subject to tax when a loan or withdrawal is made. A federal tax penalty of 10% may also apply if the loan or withdrawal is taken prior to age 59 and a half. Withdrawals are available after the first policy year. Life insurance death benefit proceeds are generally excludable from the beneficiary's gross income for income tax purposes. There are few exceptions, such as when a life insurance policy has been transferred for valuable consideration. Comments on taxation are based on John Hancock's understanding of current tax law, which is subject to change. No legal, tax, or accounting advice can be given by John Hancock, its agents, employees, or licensed agents. Prospective purchasers should consult their professional tax advisor for details. Insurance policies and or associated riders and features may not be available in all states. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company, USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York, 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with their professional advisors to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. Compliance Control Number MLINY 03262 0140.